co-founder of Pacific Coast Ayurveda, Madison Madden. In honor of the season, this month's show focuses on gratitude, the kind of gratitude that starts with self and then extends out into the world because it has no choice. It simply overflows into all aspects of being, from personal health to freedom, food choices, and the environment. I think right now, some time for some gratitude inside. But first... Here's something to get us in the mood. Before I bring on Madison Madden, I want to tell you that she is an Ayurvedic doctor, writer, environmental educator, and activist. She is the co-founder of Pacific Coast Ayurveda, chief academic officer of the International Institute of Tantric and Vedic Sciences, and founding member of the Mindanoma Climate Action Group, who hosted the largest regional event for Global Climate Strike Day at the Walala Community Center in September 2019. She is passionate about the intersection of health Hi, Madison Madden. And Welcome to Be More Now. It's really a pleasure to be currently lives having this conversation Bay, with California. you. Thanks, Blake. It's nice to be here. You want to start us off with a poem? I would. It's called Because I Know and Love That I Am Divine. Because I know and love that I am divine, I see the world around me as an extension of myself. I see the beauty and the miracles. I feel the aches and the pains, and I see the darkness and the ignorance, all as an invitation to see, really see, deeper into myself. Because I know and love that I am divine, the fire that resides within me still burns. Today, it no longer burns of anger and envy and greed. It burns of passion and desire, desire to turn on, really turn on, and for you to turn on too. Because I know and love that I am divine, I do not define myself by the traumas of my past, and there is no part of me that I don't accept. Because I know and love that I am divine, there is no person, place, animal, or plant that I don't love because I know they are divine too. Because I know and love that I am divine, I do not seek prestige. 
I do not need you to feel weak for me to feel powerful, and I will not accept anyone's attempt to suppress my voice or life or sexuality. Because I know and love that I am divine, I do seek power. Power to inspire, to give, and to humble myself to the service of others. Because I know and love that I am divine, I accept and experience pleasure, deep, soulful pleasure, with all my lips and cheeks and inside all my bones. Because I know and love that I am divine, I am not religious, but I am all religions. I am not rewarded or punished by a big man in the sky. I am a living manifestation of God. I see my place within this giant interdependent biodynamic symbiosis of earth, and I spread my seeds of kindness and honesty that I know start every day with myself. Because I know and love that I am divine, I look into the mirror and love myself, really love myself. And when I don't, I keep looking until I do. I will no longer stay silent or quiet, small, passive, or polite. Ferociously, I will laugh and cry and love and dare to dance with fire. I do not need permission. And when my ego comes knocking on my door with doubt and apathy and tries to build a wall between you and me, I will tear that down. And I will battle the fear that holds us back from being one every day for the rest of my life. Today, I know and love that I am divine. And I know that you are too. I will fight, really fight, for this whole world to remember this truth because I know that this is what heals. I know that this is what transcends hate. I know that this is what takes us home. That really sums up what we want to talk about today, doesn't it, in so many ways? It certainly does. When did that poem come through for you? I wrote that poem about three years ago, and I was sitting reflecting. I was about to teach a yoga class, actually. I was substituting for someone, and I, I asked the teacher who was, whose class it was, what would you like me to teach today? And he said, well, remind everybody that they're divine. And so I sat down and wrote that poem. There you go. So you want to talk a little bit about your background, you know, what you do, how you're part of Pacific Coast Ayurveda, and then also how you guys ended up on the Wallala Coast. I got into the health profession basically through my own experience with my own health. I was a really sick young person. I was, the story went apparently that when I was about two years old, I was playing in a field at a park that had been recently sprayed with pesticides. And I got really sick. And at that time, they treated me really heavily with antibiotics and steroids, which now we know um, wipes out the gut flora and um, does havoc on the immune system. And so early on, I had a lot of immune immunity issues and, you know, pretty much every issue under the sun seemingly unrelated health issues that 
all seem to spawn from that, you know, as well as, of course, all the other um, the mental, emotional, environmental factors that were all interrelated in my home life and all of that. And when I was about 19 years old, I looked down one day and I was taking about 10 different pharmaceutical medications. And I felt like I was just getting sicker and sicker. And I remember talking to somebody one day saying, you know, I don't think I'm going to make it to be 30. And it hit me like a brick wall one day. And I decided that I was going to take my health into my own hands. And so I started to wean myself off of medication. I started to learn about food. I started to learn about agriculture. I started to explore different alternative health modalities. Um, And one thing led to another, and it eventually led me to yoga. And my introduction to yoga wasn't the classical one. It wasn't going to a yoga class at a yoga studio. Um, In fact, I didn't really enjoy that. I found it kind of boring and um, superficial. Um, But I made my way to a class in college called the Theory and Practice of Yoga where I explored more of the philosophy of yoga and the, um, the deep spiritual roots of it. And I fell in love with that. And it kind of led me on my journey eventually to meet a yoga master who became my teacher, Gurubai. And I eventually learned and understood the physical practice, practice of yoga that, you know, most of the world now understands what yoga is. is just these physical postures, which it's, you know, just one very small part of it. And um, that eventually led me to Ayurveda. And that, you know, kind of goes back to earlier on in my life when I was probably four or five years old. I knew that I had this um, tendency for healing. I had a kind of a healing Um, propensity in my hands where I could recognize where someone was in pain and help them fix it when I was very young um, and then had kind of ignored that for my adolescent years and as I healed myself I reignited my relationship with the healer within myself and started to heal these seemingly unrelated health issues that were quite chronic and severe Um, and then decided that it was time for me to start passing it along because I, you know, I healed chronic pain, high cholesterol, kidney problems, neuropathy, um, you know, you name it, you know, chronic inflammation, gluten intolerance, you know, all of these things that are um, pretty prevalent that a lot of people don't experience until they're in their, you know, 50s and 60s. I was experiencing at 16, 17 years old. Um, and then um, about four years ago, um, myself and a few others, a group of about seven or eight of us, um, were looking to relocate from the Los Angeles area that I um, went to about a decade ago and thought I'd be there for about a year to do a project and ended up um, meeting some of the most amazing people that I've ever met and learning Ayurveda. Um, it was a humbling experience living in Los Angeles that I moved to with quite some judgment. And we wanted to get out of the city and be somewhere that had um, more nature and more healing elements to it so that we could bring people to go on their own healing journeys in a place that was more conducive to it. So we were led to Wallala, and we've been here ever since. We have our... Um, 
business in town right in Gualala, Pacific Coast Ayurveda, and we do a lot of different things that are all, you know, melded together with the common thread of yoga and Ayurveda. I love that. What year did you guys open in Gualala? We moved here, with 2020, so we moved here December of 2016. We okay. opened, you know, a few months after that, so like early in 2017. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's been about three or four years. And yeah. you've really done mm-hmm. some amazing work. And I just going back to your story, because we're having this gratitude show, right? Thanksgiving's right around the corner, and yeah. how so much of our physical issues have to do with diet and exposure to chemicals or something that we that, that we don't make the correlation to and how yeah. in its own way I don't want to say it's easy because of course you had to go through all that you went through and I'm, a, I'm also somebody who dealt with a lot of sickness I had asthma had a lot of digestive issues I was constantly getting sick constantly with medicines trying to figure mm-hmm. that out and like you I found my path through yoga and through diet, you know, those mm-hmm. two factors, finding something to quiet me as well as learning that food is nurturing. Kind of nourish you. Yep. Food is not something you just do because it sounds good or whatever. Like really the choices you make all tie back into this self-love and the principles. Right. But the Ayurvedic, where did that come from and for you? How did you first, like for me it was macrobiotic eating. That's the mm-hmm. direction that opened the door for me. Was mm-hmm. it somebody that you encountered, or how did you find that specialty? Yeah, um, it was a combination of, you know, this kind of early exploration on my own of saying, you know, there must be a way, and putting some pieces together early on of like, oh, wow, food and the, where, where food comes from makes a big impact on my inflammation and, you know, on my digestion and, you know, learning that there's all of these you know, possibilities out there. And then um, my teacher, Rubias, who introduced me to Ayurveda, and he said, you know, have you ever heard of Ayurveda? Because I came to him and he said, so who are you? And, you know, I gave this long explanation of who I am. And he was like, <laughs> and I said to him at some point, well, I've known that I'm a healer for a really long time, but I don't really know which path I should be, you know, going down. And he said, well, have you heard about Ayurveda? And I said, no. And so he said, why don't you read about it? And when I read about it, I was like, it was like a breath of fresh air. It was like, oh, thank God, this is, you know, this is expressing all of the dimensions of, you know, kind of the the glimpse that I've gotten in my own healing so far is the connection between the mind and the body and the spirit and the environment, that all four of those things are fundamentally interconnected and completely important in the healing process and Ayurveda you know has been around for it's been written down for 5,000 years it's been practiced for thousands of years before that and it has a very sophisticated and eloquent and just beautiful approach to health that you know integrates all of those dimensions for every single person and so at that point I was like all right I'm I'm in and I, I want to learn. And it actually was very challenging because Ayurveda is um, traditionally written down in Sanskrit. And so the tra- all the traditional um, books and um, 
you know, medicines, and it was all, it's all written in Sanskrit, and language has not been my forte over my life, and so it was a, it was a bit intimidating and challenging at first. Yeah, that's, I think, one of the things that's always, for me, has made it kind of not as accessible because of Sanskrit, even though I'm a yoga practitioner and I'm certified, mm-hmm. I right away, I memorized all the names of things, and then over time, I've just slowly forgotten the names. And mm-hmm. for some reason, my brain is like, I don't want to spend my time learning that. I just want to do the postures, which I think is yeah. to teach less because, you know, you, to teach, you really need to do those things. And I can tell I got lazier, not necessarily in my physical practice, but in my mental part of the physical practice. So sure. well, do, you, do sure. you find that one of the principles for yourself and then again to everyone, that your relationship to your body, like feeling good, feeling okay about the world really starts with yourself? And oh my gosh! Yeah, good. you want to talk to that a little bit? Well, I, I mean, I completely one hundred percent agree with that. Um, you know, one of the fundamental principles in Ayurveda is that the healer is within you. You know, as a as a Ayurvedic doctor, I see many clients every day and it's my job to remind you and teach you that the healer is within you and it's within me and that is a in my opinion that is the fundamental difference between eastern medicine and western medicine and that is the responsibility of the person seeking healing to take that journey and so for me um, you know, I, I've been doing a morning practice, you know, a morning um, sadhana for years now. And I remember the first time after, you know, a few years of doing a morning practice that I forgot to do my morning practice and I realized, oh my gosh, my life feels completely different today. And, you know, in different disciplines, we have this kind of dogmatic or, you know, we can think of it as a dogmatic approach to, you know, you have to chant this mantra or do this um, yoga posture or do this Tai Chi sequence or, you know, in order to start your morning. And I don't buy that at all. Um, I don't think that dogmatic approaches to anything work. Um, But really what I've realized through my own life is that if I can connect with my higher self, which is ultimately the knowing that I'm connected to all that is, that there's really no separation between me and anybody and anything else in the world, that if I can get myself to that recollection, then my entire physiology changes. My entire attitude changes. And when I go through my day from a place of, you know, fear, protection, self-preservation, defensiveness, emotionality, um, or when I'm, you know, triggered into that very quickly, um, then my creation and my relationships and my relationship to my health suffers. And if I relate to the world from a place of, trust and interconnection and recognizing that, you know, my life and my body is my creation and I have the power to, you know, influence the world around me and my environment and take responsibility for that, um, then it's a completely different experience of life. 
I want to take a quick moment and remind you you're listening to Be More Now. I'm your host, Blake Moore, and I'm talking with Madison Madden of Pacific Coast Ayurvedic. And so I find that that recognition is absolutely everything. Um, it connects the physical health to my mental health to, you know, the way that I treat and relate to the environment, the way that I um, treat and relate to my closest yourself. relationships right. to my clients. How you show up in the world. Yeah, yeah and I, absolutely. Right, and, that, and I think that self-compassion, when you talk about dogmatic practice, I think that's one of the things that we humans that are maybe disciplined or desiring to seek connection, if we miss our day or if we don't eat the way we're supposed to or we do this, it's so important not to go into self-hate or blaming or I'm so bad, you know, that kind Mm -hmm. of the ways that we get mad at ourselves and that self-compassion is as important as the compassion that we show for others. And I think sometimes that connection between those two places, it's harder to do But when you start, I find, when the diet starts to, you know, because if you're constantly on this physical roller coaster and you don't even know why, when you start to fine-tune that, then you realize when you're off, you can feel it easier than, like, why am I so Mm -hmm. grumpy? What did I do? What's going on? You know, but if you know, oh, yeah, well, like, I, you know, just chowed a bunch of sugar and I drank a bunch of coffee and now I'm going to be really on edge because of this, you know, or whatever it is that you know your body is going through its own, because food is a drug. So it's going through its own reaction and trying to find a way to, like, it's not to say that you can't do those things, but finding that balance in what that is and and then understanding how it makes you feel. And why, you know, okay, I have, you know, a bunch of bread and a bunch of coffee one day and it makes me feel like crap. And, you know, I blame it on the bread and the coffee, but why did I have the bread and the coffee that day? Why did I want to feel like crap today? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and what's, you know, what's creating that, and I think that the self-love, you know, there's, it's a pretty trendy word right now, right? It's like self-love, self-compassion, and there's so much to that because, you know, it's, um, it's the ability and the willingness to have radical honesty with yourself, you yeah. know? Right. And, and, and really get down and dirty and be like, ask the the thousand whys, you know, like, oh, why did, why did I do that? Why do I want that? What, what is that desire under that desire? You know, and I, um, one of the things that I, this past year and a half were kind of a challenging year for me. I went through a, a separation and a marriage and was forced to really look at myself in a in a way that I never had, you know, and take responsibility for things that I didn't want to and things like that. And one of the things that I learned, one of the tools that I learned was, you know, whenever I felt bad, whenever, you know, I looked at the world around me and didn't like it or, you know, I felt victim to it, I learned that there was actually something in it that I did like. Mm that actually turned me on, that there was something in everything that I have in my life that I've created to this very moment that I want. And when I get in touch with that and I can feel it, not just mentally, but when I can feel it viscerally, like actually get in touch with the feelings and the vibrations and the, you know, what's going on in my body, 
then I actually, it, it changes the way that I relate to it. And then I have a conscious choice of, oh, do I want to keep doing that? Or do I want to change the, what I want to create? Because either way, it's my choice. Either right. way, it's what I want. And I know that it's that either idea that you're leaning into something rather than running away from it. And we're faced right now with this exterior world that is, it takes a lot to make peace with on so many different levels. You know, seeing yeah. people walk down the street with masks on, just seeing our, our whole culture, everybody masked, has for, for the good of the people or not, it still is it's disturbing, you know, when you, with mm-hmm. the, just that that feeling and then to put one on yourself and not to be able to breathe right and the way it feels it's not an easy thing and then to top it all off with politics and then people dying and our fears and all those things so it's like just to sift through that and go okay how can I fit in this and how do I find ways to embrace this and you know you hear the same thing kind of the buzz you hear a lot about you know Humans need to make some new choices. This is showing us that it's up to us to save our species. This is what we have to do, how to do those things. But I think there's a deeper message, too, is like kind of really recognizing that sometimes, you know, that idea when things get really intense, it's because we're going through a great transformation. And to Mm -hmm. recognize that not necessarily, oh, we're so bad and look, we're being punished. But it's like, oh, look, all of the... Just like, you know, when those of us have gone through a health crisis, you're always way worse before you get better. And to try to start seeing it that way, I think that collectively we can make a choice to start seeing it just differently enough. And I think that perspective change, just like you said, can impact how the world moves. You know, that butterfly effect. I do believe that collectively our emotional, physical, spiritual, mental response has has a lot, a big impact on the way the world moves forward. Yeah, you know, completely. And, you know, I, I, you can look at just, you know, all the systems we have in place. You know, you can look at our health system. You can look at our political system. You can look at our transportation system. And oftentimes it's easy to feel oppressed by them. Right? It's easy to feel like, oh, my gosh, I, I can't get my needs met, and I just feel so oppressed by this system. But if you take a step back and you look at it, the system is made up of a collection of individuals, a collection of individual choices and desires and addictions. And so if we do see all this and we say, we look at it and we look, wow, like, these systems are all breaking down because they're, they've been built upon this kind of illusory understanding of how the world works and what we need and who we are. And, but these systems were literally built by us. They're built by a collection of individuals. So if those individuals change the way that we express our needs, our desires, our addictions, our you know, relationships, our hopes, our dreams, and bring that into, you know, existence, then the systems can change. And so that takes it from us being this, like, you know, a little powerless individual to realizing that we actually have this vast influence over the world that we live in. Yeah. Let me just ask you this. If somebody were saying, well, I kind of believe that, that sounds like something, it's like they're talking about something that makes sense to me. What are steps 
What are steps somebody can do to get to a place that perspective starts to seep in? Well, you know, I, I always come back to, you know, Greta Thunberg? Yes. So for any of your listeners who don't know who she is, she's the, I think she's 17 years old now. She's the 17-year-old Swedish activist um, that really started the environmental um, climate day movements. She started striking outside the Swedish parliament by herself and taking a photograph and posting it to Instagram. She did it every day for two weeks before their election. And then she continued every week from, I think, about two years ago till now. And she basically inspired a worldwide movement that, you know, extended to every point on the globe. And she was, you know, at the time she was a 15-year-old person who had been diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome, and which is um, a syndrome where you have a challenging time speaking, right? And she became a worldwide voice because she felt like no one was addressing the severity of the climate crisis. And so if nobody else was going to do it, then she was. And so she did. And she just started speaking the truth and doing what she thought was necessary. And then, you know, fast forward a year later, and there's a global climate march happening in which we're participating in, in Wallala, California. Um, and, you know, now she's a global sensation. And not that that should be any of our goals. And she doesn't want to be a global sensation either. She wants us to keep focusing on the climate crisis. But to me, that's the step is to look and, like, get really honest with yourself and ask yourself, what do I really care about and what do I really think that the world needs and how do I want to speak to it? And then as, as we start speaking to it and start taking action towards it and start, you know, building relationships based on it and then, you know, things start taking on a life of their own. Um, I found for me and for pretty much all of my clients, that usually disease, even in the physical body, disease that's manifested in the physical body, usually has a connection to suppressed emotion of some sort. And so then you ask yourself, you know, not from a self-critical place, but from a place of self-introspection or honesty, like, what, what am I suppressing and why, you know? And... And it's hard because when you stop suppressing, you stop suppressing your voice, you stop suppressing your desires, your needs, then you, you kind of put on the line some of your closest relationships, and that's challenging. You know, you change one thing in your life. You know, God forsake you choose to stop, you know, eating broccoli or coffee or whatever. And, you know, your social life is dependent on it. And you start, you start to change one thing and people start asking you, why are you doing that? Like, what? And I, can't, I don't want to hang out with you anymore or you're, you know, whatever, all those things. But, like, who really cares, you know? Um, that's, but that's why we don't do it. We don't want to risk, you know, the stability of our lives. So I would say to answer your question, you know, when you start to speak the truth and speak from your heart, you, you do kind of have to risk your stability in life. But... Is it worth, you know, is risking kind of the net of stability that you've built around yourself, is it um, worth it to see a different 
world around you? What do you say? That's exactly right. That's the big question for us is to remember not to be a victim in all of this. And that victim reality is so easy to fall into. And when you look back, just like you said, you look back to all relationships and all interactions and that recognition that I can say if that hadn't happened, this growth wouldn't happen. And in hindsight, I can really see how that experience took me someplace much, um, much, much bigger much deeper, much more profound, much more needed. And, but in the moment, you know that, I think there's a certain level that you have to allow yourself, I know the core wound of being kicked out of the kingdom again, or God Mm -hmm. doesn't love me, or I'm so bad, this always happens. I must have done something wrong. You know, some of these kinds of ways that we self-flagellate without even recognizing that they're so ingrained in our cultural upbringing. And that right. we have to tweezer some of this apart and start to look at that and realize, oh, my brain just told me how horrible I am. Oh, my gosh, you know. And, and I think some of us are really, you know, that idea of nonviolent communication. And so mm-hmm. people are so good at practicing it toward others. But then when you quiet your mind and listen. But you're your I, biggest critic. Yeah, and I always remember that when someone's super hard on me, I think to myself, oh, my God, that person must be so hard on themselves. And right, what is right. that? And that, that helps me as a human being have that compassion and have that empathy because I think I have been terribly hard on myself, uh, terribly hard. And being able to recognize that is the first step of changing those patterns. I completely agree. You know, my, um, my teacher used to tell me, used to say, there's only one sin and I, my ears would perk up, right? Because I didn't grow up religious, but now I've come to learn that, oh, I have this, you know, Judeo-Christian mindset, like, stuck in the back of my head, like our whole culture is set in it, right? And so my ears would perk up, and, and he'd say, the only sin is self-criticism. And compassion starts with yourself, you can't be compassionate towards another person unless you're compassionate to yourself. And, yep. you know, when I first heard that, I remember being just totally stumped, like, okay, well, that's true, but how the heck do I stop? My whole reality is built upon me self-criticizing, you know? <laughs> I, <laughs> that's how I survived my childhood, you know? <laughs> Right. You know, if, if I criticize myself enough, then maybe someone won't do it or I, you know, won't hurt so bad when someone else does it or, you know, we all or have to find perfect enough that no one's going to notice or something. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And, but the truth of it is that we all have, you know, beautiful qualities and we all have shadowy qualities and, you know, we're all human and we're all divine and we, you know, have different purposes and, you know, the better we learn ourselves you know, the more compassionate we can be and the more empathetic we can be towards ourselves, the more empathetic we can be towards another and the more empathetic we can be towards another then the more empathetic that we can be in the world. And um, so, yeah, I think it's a huge thing. I find that in my practice, it's one of the things that probably holds people back from healing the most is um, kind of a twofold thing. One is the self-criticism that leads people to not commit to 
a healing path, you know, like go off of a regimen or, you know, do some sort of um, behavior that makes them feel bad about themselves and they don't want to talk about it and so they feel embarrassed and, you know, all those things. And then the other is just simply taking responsibility. You know, you brought it up, the victim thing. Um, I don't think people realize how engrossed in the victim mind most of us are. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I want to just say, you know, if you look at politics, I mean, we are all victims of our political system, and yet we don't realize that we are the ones who really do give them power and in so many ways are complicit in what's been going on because what it would take for us to, we, oh, I'm powerless to change any of that. It's like, well, you know, it takes actually a lot of people to sacrifice time and energy and and present, I mean, you know, there is work that needs to be done, and, you know, like, whoever, whatever side of the political spectrum you're on, you're, there's so many victims on either side all the time, and that our system kind mm-hmm. of in its own way, you know, it's like in a sports game, you know, someone's going to win, someone's going to lose, and it's like, can we transcend winning and losing in our own self-governance, in our own way of interacting with other people, and that's... Right. You know, that's a big ask. Well, I think, that, I think that there's a very important difference between losing and being victim. And the victim mentality, and this is coming, let me tell you, this is coming from someone who knows the victim mentality very well um, from self-experience. The victim mentality is really just a um, deterring of responsibility. And I can, I can sign up for a, you know, a contest and I can put my all into it and I could lose the contest. But losing the contest doesn't make me in somehow wronged by the other contestants. And that's not to say that there isn't violence and there isn't, you know, wrongdoing in the world. There is. And we should stand up and fight for it and speak to it and hold accountability to it. But even that is different than just sitting back and all this corruption in the world. You know, when I, when I finally step up and say, you know, I no longer want to be the victim anymore of my life. That doesn't mean I'm never going to have somebody... Um, try to harm me or, you know, push back on me or anything like that. It just means that I'm going to take responsibility for my response. Once again, I'm going to take a moment and let you know you're listening to Be More Now. I'm your host, Blake Moore, and I'm speaking with Madison Madden of Pacific Coast Ayurvedic. And we're talking about ways to be grateful and the yogic lifestyle. Let me just jump in in terms of taking responsibility for their response and we get I, I've seen this a lot too which is the opposite side of the victim and I'm angry is it oh I'm just grateful I, I just feel mm. I'm positive I'm going to think positive about the world and everything's going to be just fine and I know that people on the other spectrum that can really be irksome years ago I wrote a book called New Age Anonymous and I called that bliss ninnyism like I'm just going <laughs> to bliss out and be a bliss being and that's going to be fine that's going to be everything's going to be okay and it's like well right. so what about Obviously, sometimes people use that to kind of mask wounds and, and, and other things. So how do we get beyond that superficial style of, of gratitude or being positive? Uh, that's such a good question. Well, I see, you know, I was reading something the other day, and I, I wish that I had the author's name, but I loved it. He was saying, 
you know, the cynic and the, um, you know, kind of fantasy positive mind, we'll call it, are kind of two ends of the same spectrum. They're both rooted in wounds. And, you know, just kind of the addiction to the positive mind, everything is going to be okay, we're all good, like I'm just going to think positively and all that jazz, um, you know, often doesn't get to the real root of things, you know. You, you can't look at, you know, the world we live in right now and just pretend that all the crap doesn't exist and that's just going to be okay. So there's a balance there, right? Um, in yoga, I think probably the best way to describe it is this. In yogic philosophy, we have three centers called the positive, the negative, and the neutral mind. And the negative mind is rooted in the second chakra or the um, pelvic area. And, um, you know, we could go on for days about all of them, right? But for brief <laughs> brief description, the negative mind is the way that we assess the world and kind of um, come up with the threats, right? We assess the threats around us, like, okay, how? what's the worst outcome that could happen here and how do I kind of um, bolster my, my world around me to make, hopefully make that not happen, right? That's called the negative mind. The positive mind is looking at all the possibility, all the opportunity, you know, what really what the best case scenario is the dream, the fantasy, all of that, right? And that's more rooted in what we call the navel center. And then the neutral mind is the ability to put 100% effort into something and then detach from the outcome of it. And that is located in the heart. And so oftentimes we think of the heart center as being kind of the root of emotions and things like that. But in yoga, the heart is actually the neutral mind. And you can use all of those things. You can use the negative mind. You can use the positive mind. You can look at all the, you know, potential threats and all the challenges and all that jazz. And then you can look at all the possibility and all the opportunity. And you can let yourself feel all of it on all spectrums. And then you can bring it all to the neutral and say, okay, this is how I'm going to take action, and I have no control over the outcome, but I'm still going to give my whole heart 100%. And that would be my answer to it. It's You can't really just look at the positive mind, and you can't really just look at the negative mind. You want to look at it all, and then you want to filter it through your heart. I like that because putting your head in the sand and pretending like it's not there it's like there's a balance between watching every single news story and keep the news TV on all the time to completely checking out and saying the news doesn't exist and that right. finding that balance between the two. But I love the idea of your heart being the interpreter. Right. And how would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> That's the hard the part. The right? question. <laughs> well, um... You know, the heart requires vulnerability, and it requires the, um, the giving up of control, really. You know, the, we like the human mind, we like to pretend like we have control. Mm-hmm. And it gives us a sense of stability in the world. So if we think we can tr- control the outcome of our retirement, or we think we can control the outcome of a relationship, or we think we can control the outcome of a presidency, or whatever you think, the real truth of the matter is that we can't. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite quotes is, um, you know, if you can tell me 
how much your next poop is going to weigh, you can tell me that you have control. Right. There's so much. We, we, genu- we genuinely just don't. But we like to think we do in order to kind of create that sense of stability. So to give up control requires vulnerability. It requires this is who I am, and I don't know how you're going to respond to me. I can't control how you feel or you think. I can't control if I'm going to win. I can't control if I'm going to make this much money. I can't control, you know, if somebody's going to say something bad about me. I can't control the grade I'm going to get. I can't control the Internet. You know, it's just, and so then there's a vulnerability in that, that is kind of walking out into the world and saying, this is who I am. Right. Take it or leave it. Right, right. This is what I care about. This is what I believe in. Right. And that's a scary thing. It sounds simple, but. Well, and I think it's that refining, too. I mean, it comes back into not just about your food or your diet. It's about the way you perceive things. It's that concept that yoga is not the hour on the mat. It's the 23 hours off the mat that's the most important Mm. part. And that understanding that it's all one opportunity to interact with the world in a positive way. And I think that on so many levels, a question for you is, what's happening right now with the pandemic and how that's mirroring our own internal imbalance, the collective imbalance, and what is there as an opportunity to to excavate and then move forward within that? Right. Well, there's so much overlap, you know, like you can, if you really look at the connection between the way that the pandemic is playing out, the way that the environmental collapse is playing out, and the way that our public health crisis is playing out with or without the, of COVID-19, you see all these connections. You know, you can, um, all of the pre-existing conditions that make COVID-19 patients more susceptible to death are all lifestyle disorders, lifestyle diseases that are preventable and that correspond to our diet, our stress, diabetes, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, obesity. And they're all the leading conditions in the world today, especially in the Western world. And you see the connections between um, industrial agriculture and the political incentives, the um, economic incentives, um, the emotional incentives. There are, there's all these connections between what's going on in all of these dimensions, the micro and the macro, and they're all the same. They all come down to two things fundamentally, um, which are greed and the disconnection from nature. And greed is just, and that's, I don't mean greed in a way that everybody's bad. I mean just the concept that you need to kind of accumulate more than you need. And the disconnection from nature being our entire society has become completely disconnected from nature's rhythms. And in that, we're susceptible and prone to disease. And in Ayurveda, the word diet is called ahara, A-H-A-R-A, and it refers not to just what you eat, but it refers to 
everything that you intake, your food, your water, your air, and your perceptions. And what creates health is being able to healthfully digest all of those things. You can, you know, eat the most wonderful nutrient-dense meal, but if you can't digest it, it's going to create indigestion. And that indigestion ultimately will eventually lead to disease. And so, you know, our food is affected, is polluted, our air is polluted, our water is polluted, and our perceptions are mostly polluted. So then you look at, on a large scale, what we're intaking, the diet of our planet, and you see, wow, no wonder this is the trend. Right. And so then on a personal level, we can all ask ourselves those questions. We can all ask ourselves, okay, how do I clean up my diet, not just what I eat, my whole diet? Right. And so there is our opportunity this Thanksgiving to think about ourselves on this global scale, how we interact with our small groups of family members is <laughs> a different Thanksgiving than we're going to be used to, or however, right. how we react to not being able to be with our family members, how we respond to how we treat ourselves. And I think that's really this whole idea of how to be grateful no matter what. Yeah, you know, and food, food can either be medicine or it can be a poison. And everything in nature is medicinal if used in the right way. So you can ask yourself, okay, am I, what am I putting, what am I intaking? Is this medicine or is this poison? And you can look at the food on your plate. You can ask yourself, okay, so we we have this, you know, kind of wonderful opportunity to redo how we do Thanksgiving, right? Because we can't do it the same way we always have. So what a great opportunity to then be like, okay, so let me really redo this. Let me really look at, and how do I really want to do this? Right. What do I really want to be eating? What would be medicine for me? Who do I really want to be eating with? What would be medicine for me? And that may be, that's contextual, right? Because you may have people you want to be eating with that you can't right now because of COVID-19, but you can still come to the conscious awareness of it so that when you're able to, you can create that reality. What environment do I want to be eating in? What mindset do I want to be eating in? What sounds do I want around me? What lighting do I want around me? What temperature is nourishing for me? You have all these subtleties of questions to ask yourself, and it may be totally different than what you've been doing for your entire life right. because it's just been custom and tradition. And then you can ask yourself, where do these customs and traditions come from? Because when I first started asking myself those questions and I'd look at what Thanksgiving was to me, I was like, oh my gosh, this is all bullshit. <laughs> and I just bought into this my entire life. And, and then it's like, so what was it before that? Where, you know, why is this? What, what am I grateful for? Right. You know? And then you can see, you know, for me, it's like, wow, well, I'm grateful for the harvest. I'm grateful for, you know, we have the celebration of food. What kind of food do I want to celebrate? I want to celebrate, you know, what's seasonal and what's local and what's available to me and what need the bounty that nature has given me. I don't want to participate in the 50 billion or whatever it is, amount of turkeys that are killed every year in order to be put on our plates in little plastic bags. That's not what I want to see celebrating. And, you know, so I ask myself those questions. And but it's a great opportunity to do that. It's a great opportunity to ask, okay, what am I grateful for? And how do I create an environment that reflects that? 
Well, we are thoroughly out of time, and what a pleasure it has been talking with you, Madison. I love your insight, and you are a gift to the world, and thanks so much for sharing this time with with us. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's nice to talk to you, too, and I hope to connect at some point sometime soon. Well, me, too. And that about wraps up my interview with Ayurvedic doctor and co-founder of Pacific Coast Ayurveda, Madison Madden. And as you notice, we've been talking about gratitude, the kind of gratitude that starts with self. So I hope you enjoyed yourself. And when you tune in next month, which is actually just two weeks from now, on December 3rd, I will be interviewing poet Lucinda Watson. She recently came out with a new book called The Favorite. And she is a very, very interesting human. So check back in on December 3rd from 7 to 8. And then also tomorrow right here on KZYX, you can catch Politics, A Love Story. And tomorrow's show, Bob Yushansky will be interviewing Alexander Kazar, Harvard Professor of History and Social Policy at the John Kennedy School of Government. And they will be talking about Professor Kazar's new book, Why Do We Still Have the Electoral College, which is certainly a timely topic. So again, that's tomorrow, Politics, A Love Story at 9 o'clock right here on KZYX. And I also want you to know, of course, when this show is over, you're going to be hearing Pulse of the Planet, which is followed by W. Dan and more humor and laughter, which we need so much from the Treehouse. So stay tuned for that. And I'm going to end the show with one of my favorite pieces of music, Thanksgiving by George Winston. Have a wonderful holiday, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And may we remember to keep our hearts open, our minds open and look for solutions.